Good morning, Missio. Um, the scripture today comes from 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 10 through 16. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Morning. Yeah, it's so good to be with you. I haven't been here for a bit. I uh, was uh, in Mexico for 10 days, you know, so I don't think anybody feels sad for me, but... Uh, <laughs> It is nice to be with you, you know? I kind of miss the beach, but I miss you guys too a little bit. Uh, <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, we are right now in a series entitled Heart. And throughout this series, what we've been doing is exploring practices, spiritual practices, that have the power to shape in us a heart of God-like love. This is the process of spiritual formation where we join in and partner with the work that the Spirit is doing to form in us lives and hearts and mindsets and imaginations of Jesus so that we can live like Jesus in the world around us. And we started this conversation, uh, was that three weeks ago? And we just started with some framework. What are our spiritual practices? What are they for? What do they do in us? And the big thing that we named is that spiritual formation and all the practices that we're going to talk about are at their very core about experiencing and knowing and being transformed into the love of Jesus. They're not about white-knuckling ourselves into holiness or controlling ourselves. That that kind of framework and mindset will actually set us up for failure and pain. But these are about partnering and walking with the work that God is doing in our lives to know and experience his goodness and his love. Then the last few weeks, Heather led us through two different practices, the practice of silence and solitude and the practice of simplicity. And these ones, kind of like to simplify, are about creating space in our life. Creating space to pay attention and to listen and to hear and to connect with God and self and others and what it is that God is doing in the midst of us. We're going to continue on with this conversation today, continuing to talk about spiritual practices that have the power to transform us and shape us in the way and love of Jesus. And today, the spiritual practice that we're going to talk about is the practice of reading your Bible. Thank you for laughing. I feel like it was weird to say out loud. You're like, we all know we do that, right? I think this is going to be an interesting conversation today because the practice of reading your Bible or reading Scripture might be the most complicated of the spiritual practices, but on its surface feels like the easiest of the spiritual practices. And the reason I say that is because 
if we can be honest with ourselves, the Bible is a weird and complicated book. It's a beautiful book. It's a life-giving book. It's a book that is full of wonderful stories and wonderfully like life-giving and life-breathing things. But it is also a complicated book with lots of complicated stories and strange interactions and uh, waste management codes for ancient people. And you're like, what do I do with this? The Bible is a strange and a weird book. And I imagine if you are in this room, you have probably had some kind of interaction or experience or history reading the Bible. For my own story, uh, my faith became my own directly through reading the Bible. I was reading the words of Jesus, and I was so compelled and so captured by this person of Jesus and the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And as I was reading the story of Jesus, something in me was sparked, a curiosity, a desire to know more, to learn more. And so I started to read more about Jesus. But as you start to read about Jesus, you kind of make your way out of the Gospels and into other parts of the Bible, and you start to run into things that you're like, oh, (laughs) doesn't sound all that much like Jesus. What do I do with these other things? And so the second part of my own story is reading the Bible and coming face-to-face with things that were sometimes just very confusing, things that were sometimes hard to square with what I knew about life and reality, and sometimes things that were scary to me because they seemed to contradict the person I knew Jesus to be. I loved this book and had found my way to God because of this book, and yet was also wrestling and struggling and curious about so many things because of this book. And I think what it did for me is it produced this like sort of cocktail within me in terms of the Bible. I was like equal parts curious, equal parts captivated by the person of Jesus, and then equal parts confused by the things that I was reading. And so I was like, you know what? The logical thing to do here is to go get a degree, and then another one, and then another one, And that is in large part what led me to the journey of like seminary and Bible college from there. So I had questions that I wanted to wrestle with. And so I took three years of Greek and Hebrew and then forgot all of it. (laughs) But I imagine that many of you have had a similar experience. Maybe you didn't spend so much money on uh, college debt, but you have had a similar experience wrestling with this book. You've had some experience that led you to believe that it was beautiful. Maybe you've tried like a Bible reading plan. Maybe you in college tried a Bible reading plan. Or even this year, you're like, I want to read the whole Bible this year. So maybe you're engaged in this work and have found meaningfully and wonderful words in this book. But I imagine you've also found it to be confusing or strange or just hard to know what to do with. And so today, the conversation that we're going to have is about our Bibles. And how do we read this book, which I think we all know we're supposed to. There's like something in us that tells us we're supposed to read this book. I feel like even people who aren't religious tell me they're going to read the Bible in a year, which I always think is so fascinating. I was at a party last night, nobody there was Christian, and somebody told me, they're like, I'm reading the Bible here. And I was like, why? (laughs) I mean, I'm glad you are. (laughs) Don't, Don't take this the wrong way, but... Is somebody paying you to do that? Like, we all know there's something in us that is like leading to this thing. And so today, we're going to talk about our Bibles. And there's three questions that I want us to wrestle with. That I think as we answer these questions might help us understand how to engage this book in a way that is formative. In a way that contributes to us knowing God and loving like Jesus. 
That's still the framework of our conversation, shaping our hearts in the way of Jesus. So here are the three questions that we're going to wrestle with today. What is the Bible? What is the Bible? What is this thing that we read? Number two, what is the Bible for? And number three, how do we read the Bible? And how do we read it for more than information, but for transformation? It's a way of practicing the way of Jesus. So those are the three questions that we'll wrestle with today. So question number one, what is the Bible? Now I think the easiest way to maybe answer this question is actually to start in the negative by saying some things that the Bible isn't. So I've come up with a few things here that I think maybe it's just helpful to name uh, what the Bible is not. Uh, Number one, the Bible is not a box of chicken nuggets. <laughs> I think this will make sense in a second. When I first began to read the Bible, as like a young person, I treated it a bit like a container of divine fortune cookie messages. And this is not entirely a wrong way to read the Bible. So I want to, there's so much beauty to be gained in reading it this way. But what I did is I looked for the best chicken nug. And you read it, and you're trying to find a nugget of truth. You're trying to find a principle of wisdom. You're trying to find like a nugget of chicken revelation from God to you that you can hold on to, and you can memorize it, and you can write it down, and you can speak it over yourself in moments of darkness or in worry or in panic. And this is a beautiful way. I just want to reiterate, this is a beautiful way to read the Bible, looking for nuggets of truth. But it can get you into some weird places. Because not all of the Bible will read like a good chicken nugget. Some of it reads kind of strange. For example, in, say you're looking for a piece of wisdom and you come to the book of Judges. It's kind of a, a tenuous tale. But you're like, I'm committed to finding some truth, some nuggets to pull out and to reading this whole thing. And so you come to the book of Judges, you're reading it through, and you find yourself at Judges 4.21, just as an example, and you read this. But J.L., Heber's wife picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Now, there's probably a nugget in there somewhere. Like, maybe the early bird gets the worm or something. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's probably some way that you could spiritualize a nugget of truth in there. But it isn't quite clear what the golden truth is. And that's what makes this strategy of reading the Bible tricky, is that the Bible is more than axioms. It's more than nuggets. It's more than spiritual principles. There's something else that's happening here, even if all those things are there also. So the Bible is not just a box of chicken nuggets. Number two, the Bible is not a textbook. The Bible is not a textbook. When I sort of moved on from reading the Bible for nuggets of truth, I think what I started to do is to read the Bible for information. I'm trying to learn something about God or the world around me. I'm trying to get good information from the Bible. And so I would sort of study it like it was a textbook. And again, there's something really beautiful about reading the Bible this way. There is lots of good and wonderful information in the Bible. And as you read it, it will open up whole worlds to you about history and peoples and characters and anthropology and languages. 
There's lots of good, wonderful information in the Bible. And yet to treat the Bible as a textbook for information can lead you into some, again, difficult places. For example, what does the Bible say about the creation of the world? And what kind of information is the Bible providing you about the creation of the world? If you're a person and you're wondering how the world comes into existence and what the Bible says about it, you're going to find your way to Genesis chapter 1. And you're going to read a beautiful poem about how God speaks the world into existence. And it takes six days and light comes kind of later in the story than everything else. And then you're going to see a story about God resting within or over creation. And that's beautiful information. But how do you apply it? How does it dialogue with the information of modern science? How does it dialogue with the information that we are gaining today about the world around us? What kind of information is the Bible giving us? If it's a textbook, it should be clear and straightforward. You should be able to do this and apply it in this way. But it seems like something else is happening within this information. So the Bible is not simply a textbook, though it does contain good information. And then finally, here's another thing that the Bible is not. It is not a book about right behavior. When I was young, I don't know if anybody, uh, if this is familiar to anybody, but when I was young, sometimes people would describe the Bible as basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> the Bible is sometimes treated like it is a behavioral manual. And in some ways, you would think that this would maybe be the most straightforward thing that the Bible is, that it is a description of Christian behavior, that this is the things that we do, and here are the things that we don't do, and there's a whole section of the Bible called Torah or law. That's all moral codes, right? That's what the Bible is. It is instructions for human living. And in some ways, that is true and beautiful and right. The Bible has beautiful examples of moral living. The way of Jesus is described in the scriptures, and it is beautiful and high-minded and calls us into something wonderful. But again, using the Bible as a book of moral codes gets complicated rather quickly. And here's a couple examples of why that can be true. For example, in the Old Testament, the law says very clearly, do not eat shellfish. Right? It's very clear. Don't eat it. But then you come to the New Testament and there's a story where the Apostle Peter, who's a very good Jewish boy, is presented with shellfish. And he's like, no, I'm not going to eat that because God said no. And then God comes to him and he's like, eat the shellfish. And Peter's like, what do I do at this moment? Do I listen to the divine commanding voice or the book that I read once? And he's like, I'll listen to the voice. It's complicated. Here it felt so clear and all of a sudden it's being updated or changed. Another good example of this is that the Ten Commandments says very clearly, do not bear false witness, do not lie. However, in the story of the Exodus, the Hebrew midwives lie to Pharaoh in order to protect Hebrew infants from death. And they are celebrated for their bravery and their courage and their act of faith. Oh, again, that's a complicated moment when it seems so clear in one place. And here's another one that I think is complicated and is something I think about a lot. 
I believe that the way of Jesus leads to nonviolence. But not everybody believes that. What seems clear to me is not clear to every Christian and every tradition and every denomination. Well, that's fascinating. How did we get to different places? But again, I believe this about Jesus, that it leads to this way of living. But then you have this very weird story in the Gospels where Jesus tells his disciples to go buy swords. So why is a guy who dies for his enemy telling his disciples to go buy swords? They tell him, we have two swords, and Jesus is like, ah, that's probably plenty. So I don't know what kind of revolution you're throwing with two swords, but I'm with you. Then we get to a moment where Peter uses the sword, and Jesus is like, well, don't use it. And he condemns him and heals the man that Peter used the sword on. What do you do with that? That's a very complicated moral scenario where I feel like Jesus' way leads to something. Other people feel like it doesn't lead to that moment. And then you have this strange story in the middle. How do you interpret that? So the Bible has moral codes. It has instructions for living. But it is not only that. Something else is happening in this also. So then what is the Bible? If it's not these three things, what is the Bible? How do we understand it? How do we define it? Well, the easiest way is to say simply this. The Bible is a story. It is a story. It is a narrative. The very first verse is in the beginning, and the last one is amen, which is like the spiritual, the end. It is a tale. A story that takes place from one generation that continues to get played out and unfolded in the pages of time and history and scripture through the end. It is a tale. And what is that story about? Well, Jesus tells us in Luke 24. He's having a conversation like the one we're having with his disciples. And Jesus tells his disciples this. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law from Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, which is a way of describing all the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The Bible is a story. It's a story of God and God's people that culminates and leads to Jesus. One of the reasons this is so important for us to understand is that everything in the Bible then has a context, a narrative context. Just like if you're reading an actual story, there's a context. The page that you're on and the episode that you're reading and the moment in the character's life, there is a context to those things. So the Bible is filled with nuggets of truth, it's filled with good information, and it is filled with moral codes. But They all have to be understood within their context of the story. My Bible professor in seminary, a guy by the name of Tim Mackey, name drop, used to say say that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. He would always emphasize this over and over and over again. If you're reading the Bible, it is for you. That's a gift, but it is not to you. And just like a story, there is a context that has to be understood for all of these different little moments and places. It is building somewhere. It is moving somewhere. It is going somewhere. And so to really understand what the Bible is and understand where we are, and even those nuggets of truth, and even those moral codes, 
we have to understand the narrative that's playing out. A narrative that moves towards Jesus. So that's what the Bible is. It is a story. A story about God, a story about God's people, and a story that culminates in the person and work of Jesus. That leads us to question number two. What is the Bible for then? Largely, you could say that it is to tell the story of Jesus. But the Apostle Paul, in the scripture that we read this morning, says two really important things that I think will help us understand how to use this book and how to engage with it. He says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, he's talking to a young guy named Timothy. He says this, Since childhood, you have known the holy scriptures that help you to be wise in a way that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus wise in the way of Jesus. Wisdom in the biblical tradition is pretty distinct from knowledge. Knowledge is kind of like the accumulation of information. It's like reading the Bible like a textbook, or reading anything like a textbook. You know a lot of things. You know a lot of good information about something. But wisdom is distinct. Wisdom is the ability to use that information. It's like a discerning mind versus a full mind. The two are helpful together, but it's more about how you see and about how you live and how you interact with the world around you. Wisdom is the ability to move and live in the world. And what Paul is saying here is that the biblical story, this story about God and God's people, is about giving us wisdom to live the way of Jesus. The biblical story shows us who God is like and what it looks like to be God's people. And through it, we get to see faithfulness and failure. We get to see courage and sin. We get to see heartbreak and lament and people overcoming and people struggling. You get to see the beauty and the wonder and the strangeness of human life in relationship to God. And Paul is like, the reason we have this is because it forms in us an imagination and heart for living this way here and now. This story is about making you wise in the way of Jesus. It can't answer every question that you've ever had. There's not enough pages in the world to write a book that can answer every question that we have. And it can't deal with every scenario or complication or moral moment of our life. But what it can do is tell you a story about Jesus and God's people that give us wisdom for living now. So Paul's like, this is about giving you the wisdom to live. And then Paul goes on to say this, every scripture is inspired by God and is therefore useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, for training in character. So that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. I like that language of training or equipping. It feels like the language that we've been using throughout the series of practicing. This is a story to help us practice and grow in wisdom so that as we live this life, we can be equipped to enter into the world around us and live the way of Jesus for every good work. We read this story to know and experience Jesus and learn to live like him. So we can be equipped for every good work. 
So here's what we have so far. The Bible is the story of Jesus that is meant to make us wise in the way of Jesus so that we can live like Jesus. That's what this thing is and what it's for and why it's so beautiful. Now that leads to question number three. How do we read it? What do we do with this thing? And I want to get practical in this moment. That's been kind of the hope of this series is to have a more practical kind of like ending to this conversation. So how do we read the Bible in ways that are meaningful and engaging? Well, number one, you got to read it. (laughs) But I do think that as I say that, you got to read the Bible, but when you read it like a story, that is a different posture. And so I think what we're invited into in this moment is to read the Bible, but to read it with a posture of transformation less than information. Focused on transformation. We read to experience the story. One of the most helpful ways for me to do this, and it's a practice we've done a lot here at Missio, and we'll probably do it at team night, we've done it in many different ways, is the practice of Lectio Divina, which is Latin for divine reading. There's different ways to practice this, very simple ones. There's apps that will help you do it. But the thing that I have found so helpful in this is to read a text very slowly, pause, read it again, and to ask myself, what am I noticing? What is it the Spirit is showing me? What is it that's being highlighted in this text? And what is helpful to me about that strategy is that it sort of is different than me trying to learn something from the text. And it's more, what am I noticing? What is it that God is saying? Why is this interesting? How does this compel me or captivate me? It treats it more like a story than a textbook or a guidebook. So we read the Bible. And we do so in a posture of narrative. To experience Jesus, to know more about Jesus, to see Jesus in action. And we do this regularly. Consistency is actually really important when it comes to reading. There's research that shows that reading is one of the most powerful ways to develop empathy. Just like reading of any kind. Reading novels is one of the most powerful ways to develop empathy. And researchers try to understand why that is. Like, what is it about reading that is so helpful for the practice of empathy? And there's two things that always come up. One is that you get to live through somebody else's experience. It's like one of the most powerful ways to, like, see the world through somebody else. And then the second one is it just happens regularly. When you read, you consistently come to the story of somebody else. You keep experiencing the world through somebody else and through that consistent practice of seeing the world through somebody else's lens, even an author's lens. You get transformed in the way of empathy and love and understanding. And the same thing true when we read the Bible. That as we continue to read it in consistency, as we come back to the story of Jesus, we begin to see the world like Jesus. See how he moved and how he loved and how he welcomed and how he rested. We are transformed in the way of Jesus by continuing to see and interact with and know the person of Jesus. Second, the thing to do to help us read the Bible, is I think it's helpful if we try to read progressively larger sections. And I don't mean that you should try to read like all the Bible in one sitting or all the Bible in one year. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that you read the Bible like a story. It was in the 16th century that verses and chapters were added to our Bible. Before then, it was just long letters. 
And they were read mostly in one sitting because that's how they were written, to be read in a community. Now, that's hard to do sometimes, and I think it actually takes practice to build our way into that kind of reading. But the reason I suggest it is so that we can read it like a story. Like if you were going to sit down to read a novel, I think it's actually a very helpful way to read the Bible. Because there's a framework, there's an arc, there's a journey that's happening, even in the letters or in the smaller books. And when we capture that story and read that story, we're engaging with it the way that it was intended to. So read it like a story in progressively larger and larger chunks. In college, um, I did this really cool thing called Bible marathons. And a group of us would get together and we'd like order food and pizza and then we would just read whole books of the Bible together sitting on the ground. Um, honestly, very fun. I know, I know it doesn't sound like it. And, you know, I did go on to do three years of Hebrew. So, you know, my own, my own brain is broken somewhere, but very fun, highly recommend it. It's a very easy way to engage with the whole book. You just get together, have some friends over, come on, you just read the whole book of Matthew, you're going to have a great time. Third, uh, read the Gospels over and over again. Read the Gospels over and over again. When you finish them, read them again. If, we, if they believe that this is the story of Jesus and the purpose of this story is to live like Jesus and to know more about Jesus, the Gospels are the key to it all. The Old Testament is leading to Jesus, as Jesus himself says, and then the rest of the New Testament is about interpreting or applying or making sense of Jesus. So if you want to make sense of either of those sections, then we need to know the Gospel. If we want to practice the way of Jesus in the world around us, then we need to know what Jesus did. So read the Gospels over and over again. During Lent, uh, we're going to be offering uh, what we're calling like a going deeper class, which will be working through the Gospels with New Testament scholar Scott McKnight's uh, video series through Seminary Now. It's amazing material, and maybe no New Testament scholar has been more helpful for my own thinking than Scott McKnight, and they're doing a class just on the Gospels. It'll be Sunday morning. Look at you guys. Yeah, Sunday morning. They're going to be curating it in the Glass Chapel. You can register, sign up, highly recommend it. Uh, the course is really great. So if you want more information about the Gospels, that's a great way to do it. But read the Gospels over and over again. And then finally, just as we try to be practical here, wrestle with the hard bits in Scripture. This is the story of God and of humans, and there are hard moments in this story. And we didn't have time to like wrestle through this today. That's not the point of today's message. We've done classes online called How Do You Read Your Bible Classes that engage specifically with reading like violence in the Old Testament. We can always have a larger conversation about those things or those resources around those things, but wrestle with those moments. I think there can be two extremes when we read the Bible is to either rationalize hard moments in the Bible or to reject them. And my encouragement in this moment would be to do neither. To not say that they are, they must be okay because they're in the Bible. Like if you read genocide, you're like, that is not okay. It's okay to say that and to name that and to feel that. Don't resolve that tension too fast. But also don't reject it too quickly. 
Live in the tension of that moment. Bring your questions to people around you. Wrestle in community. Ask the Spirit to guide you. One of my favorite writers on Scripture says that Scripture bears scars just like our Savior, and it should. And I find that so comforting to me that as I wrestle with these moments, I'm also wrestling with the fullness of what it means to be human and for God to love us in the fullness of humanity. There's tension in me and there's tension in this book and those are invitations into something deep, I believe. So don't rationalize it or reject it. Wrestle with those moments. Bring those questions to friends and trusted colleagues or supports or peers because they're an invitation into something. So some suggestions on how to read. Got to read it regularly and consistently. Try reading more and more to capture the story. Read the Gospels over and over again so the lead character of the story gets to shape how we read the rest of it and wrestle with those hard moments. And what's interesting about the Bible is that we've said this, it is the story of Jesus meant to transform us into the way of Jesus. And this is always true. Every time the Bible it's talked about in the Bible, this is kind of the way that it's framed. The very first moment the Bible is ever brought up is in the book of Exodus. And God comes to Moses and he's like, hey, write down this rescue mission so that people remember it. But it's not the only way that God tells people to remember things. Just a few chapters before Moses is told to write it all down, Israel is told to practice a meal together as a way of remembering and living the story of God. And Jesus takes that same language in the New Testament when he gives us this meal and says, do this every single week in remembrance of me. And we as a community always try to practice both. Telling the story to remember who God is, and practicing the story to remember and live who God is. So, Mr. we want to be a community in this moment and who leaves this place who are a people of both. We tell the story of Jesus, we study the story of Jesus, but we also practice the story of Jesus. At this table, and the tables in our homes, and the tables in our workplaces, and everywhere we go. And the two go together, the story we tell and the way that we live. So let's, see, let's pray and then practice this story. Jesus, thank you for your story. I'm genuinely so thankful. I, I, my experience of you, my faith in you is so mediated by this story. I'm thankful for all of it, the weird bits and the hard bits stories of talking donkeys and dangerous tent pegs. And I'm thankful for the way it shows me how you love me, how you love those around me, how love looks other-oriented and sacrificial. And so God, would would we become a people of your story who wrestle with the hard things and the good, who see you and in seeing you and knowing you and experiencing you become a people who follow you, whose imagination is saturated by your story and seek to live it day in and day out. So you just help us to know it and to practice it as we come to this table. In your name we pray.
Amen.